night. Good morning again. Good to be with you. Uh, Abby, Fourth of July weekend. I guess I didn't say that before. It's going to rain today, but the rest hopefully will be nice. Um, I guess the weekend's over, but you know, if you get off for Tuesday. Um, I was just thinking, it's so funny uh, being like in church and when summer comes around, that feels like a, like a downtime for many in ministry. They'll just talk about like, there's no one around. They're all heathens going off on vacation, enjoying the good weather or whatever. Um, but you know what? It is true. You see less of the people that you see all the time in the summer, I guess because they are heathens and they're, they don't think going to church is important. But uh, no, just kidding. Not you guys. You're all here. Um, but what you do see is a lot of new faces. Like people travel, like they relocate in the summer or they just kind of shift things around in the summer. And so like a bunch of new people who I've never met before will come in in the summer. And I really appreciate that. I've found that every single summer that we've been at church. And so if you're new, say hi later and, uh, and I'll be glad to meet you. Um, we're in Matthew chapter seven, continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bible, that's where we'll be. And uh, if you don't, verses will be up on the screen. Um, sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon that's ever been preached, although I'm sure the sermon I preached today will be a close second. Uh, it is, uh, it's a really good week to be visiting if you are exploring faith, if you're exploring who Jesus is. You haven't made a decision yet, but you just want to know, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it look like to be a Christian? How would that look in my life uh, Jesus really opens that up in the scripture we're looking at today. Um, in this teaching today, he, what he does, he, he lays down two paths in front of us. He says, you can, you can live this way or you can live this way. You can be on this path or you can be on this path. And in doing that, he does confront us with the need to make a decision. Uh, you know, at some point in your life, you have to make a decision. Which, which one am I going to commit to? which one am I going to walk on? Which, which way am I going to follow? And maybe for some of you, you feel that today. You feel Jesus asking you to make a decision. What's the path you're going to commit to? And we have to remember that in this sermon, Jesus has two uh, main goals kind of overarching throughout this teaching. One is to, to teach us, here's what the kingdom of God is like. Here's uh, the values of the kingdom. Here, if you're a person who belongs to the kingdom of God, here's what you look like and how you're different from, uh, from, from everyone else. And so here's the kingdom of God and what's distinct about it. And then also to reveal himself as the king of the kingdom. He is the king. He is the savior who brings us into the, the kingdom of God. And so that is where we start out today. In Matthew 7, uh, Verse 7, Jesus is, is describing, here's what the kingdom of God is like, and it's also an invitation into the kingdom of God. So look at this. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is an amazing promise that Jesus makes. But I want you to notice he's speaking to, to two groups of people here. 
uh, in verse 8, Jesus is speaking to all people. He says, everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks will be opened. Like, this, this is the verse that's open to anyone. And then in verse 11, he says, uh, your Father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. So there, verse 11, that is narrowly tailored to the people for whom that's true, that God is your father. You have that relationship where God is your father. And that's not the default. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, the apostle Paul writes this, uh, picking up in the middle of verse two, the, the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Like By default, Paul tells us we are children of wrath, not children of God, children of wrath, and that's all mankind, the rest of them, all of us, because we have in us this sin nature that rejects uh, the authority of God and the worship of God. That, uh, that Christmas song gets it wrong, like, don't get your theology from hokey Christmas songs, you know, the one that goes, uh, Santa knows we're all God's children, and that makes everything right. It's not all right, <laughs> Don't listen to it. Don't get it, your theology from that song. Get it, get it from Paul, all right? Uh, we're, we're not all God's children. We are all God's creation, but as God's creation, we've rejected him as our creator. And because he's the creator of everything, he's the source of everything, the source of every good thing, when we are cut off from the source of every good thing, all that leaves is wrath for our sin, judgment for sin, the, the enactment of justice, and that's default. But we don't have to be stuck there. The, the Gospel of John chapter 1 says this about Jesus, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The good news is that through Jesus, through faith in him and the work that he's accomplished, we can be adopted to become children of God. Not by our efforts, but by his grace, by his efforts for us. And that's verse 8, if you go back to the, the Matthew verses. The, the invitation to everyone and the promise that Jesus makes that if, if you go looking for God, you can find him. The, the incredible news of the Bible is that, you know, you don't have to, uh, to work and, um, and do, like, this, this incredibly arduous struggle in order to finally, at some point, reach a level that you can make contact with God, and, but you've got to climb your way up, and you've got to claw your way out, and you've got to be, like, this, like, the best version of you to get this done. No, the good news of the Bible is that Jesus himself comes down to us, like he approaches you and he, he invites you to know him. That's why he says everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks the door will be open. Like everyone who comes to him, everyone who, who, who asks for forgiveness, asks to become a child of God, like God is there. God is ready to embrace you. Now, it doesn't matter who you are or what is in your past, God, God wants you to come to him. In, in all your wandering, and all your rebellion, and all your running away from God, 
and all you're turning your back against God. Like Jesus is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to seek and to save the one lost sheep. And the sheep doesn't have to get back on his own. The shepherd goes to the sheep. All you have to do is turn around, and as soon as you turn around, you're going to find him there. Ready to forgive you, ready to embrace you, ready to bring you into the family of God and adopt you as a child to give you the, the hope of eternal life. One of my favorite promises that I just hold on to, that I love that Jesus makes this promise. In John 6, verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. People reject Jesus. Jesus does not reject people who come to him. He's not going to let go of you. When Jesus brings you into the family of God, that's permanent. When Jesus says, you are mine, there's a period at the end of that sentence. So, for anyone who is here today, who is, you know, maybe you're visiting, uh, maybe you've been coming for a while, but you're at a point where you're still exploring who Jesus is and exploring faith, and you haven't made a, a commitment or a decision, I want you to know that these words of Jesus, th these are words for you. And Jesus wants you to explore. He invites you to explore. He wants you to ask questions and look for answers and pray to God. Like, even if you don't believe that God is real yet, even if you're not fully there, you can just ask, what do you lose? Like, a few seconds, say, God, if you're real, show me that you're real. Like, if, if you really love me, if there's really forgiveness, help me to know that that's true. Help me to, to be convinced about this. Would, would you teach me? Would you show me? Would you reveal yourself to me? And I don't mean testing God in a weird way, like, uh, God, if you're real, strike that tree with lightning. Because, you know, God's not your little monkey who's just going to do, like, whatever you— like, he doesn't owe that to you. Jesus, in Matthew 16, he's dealing with people who are asking him for a sign, and then they're going to believe him. Like, disregarding the fact that his whole ministry is full of miraculous signs and wonders, healings, casting out demons, walking on water, calming storms, feeding the crowds— disregarding all that, they go, one more, Jesus, just, just show us right now, just do something, and then we're going to believe you. And Jesus says this, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. It's like, I'm not going to jump through hoops for you. You've seen it all. You don't believe, all right? The sign of Jonah, this is in reference to you know, the end goal of his whole mission, his death and his resurrection, just like the prophet Jonah is swallowed up by the great fish for three days and is then uh, brought back out to land. Jesus himself is crucified and swallowed up by the earth in the tomb for three days before his resurrection. Like Jesus is the sign. You want a sign? Jesus is the sign. His death and his resurrection. Explore the claims of his death and his resurrection, there are, if you go looking, there are enough good reasons for you to believe that this is true. He really died. He really rose again. And if it's true, you have to start taking the rest of what he said seriously. He said there is such thing as forgiveness of sins. There is such thing as eternal life. There is such thing as judgment. 
We have to handle those things. Have you explored the claims of Jesus? He invites you to. I mean, you're here, so I think you are. He tells you if you go looking for him and, and looking for the truth about him, that's something that he wants you to, he wants to help you know. He wants to help you. He wants to reveal himself to you. Not if you go looking with a mind to, I want to disprove this. I want to teach all these Christians how dumb they are. Uh, no, no, if you, if you go with the mind to, if this is true, I want to know. In, in, in honest and open heart, if this is true, I want to know. With that heart, you go seeking, you go looking, and you can find. To those uh, later in verse 11, where he, uh, he, he narrows down who he's addressing, to those who are children of God, who've made a decision to put their faith in him and are now adopted into the family of God. Uh, Jesus says to you, like, just understand this relationship that you have. Like, God is not a distant, cold, indifferent person that you need to, you know, you need to do things exactly right before he's gonna look your way at all. No, he's, he's a father. He's a good, good father. It's who he is. It's who he is. Uh, he, he knows how to give you good things because he loves you. When, when you ask God for good things, he loves to give you good things. Now, does Jesus' promise here mean that uh, if you're a child of God, if you've made that decision and commitment, you have that relationship with him, you could ask him for anything you want, and he has to say yes? No. Because what, what does a good father do when uh, their child asks for something bad? He says no. Like the thing that he says about God, you know, if, 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 if you ask for bread, are you going to give him a stone? Like I'm not the best father in the world by a long shot, but when my three-year-old asks me for a cup of water, I, I know not to give her a cup of bleach. And Jesus says, and you guys are evil. Like there's some like messed up, evil, corrupted stuff in you, and you still know how to give, give, uh, give good things to your own kids. Like, God is not, there's no evil in him. There's no darkness in him. God is all light. He's a good father. He knows how to give good things to those who ask. And if you're going to ask for something bad, like, if my three-year-old asks me for the cup of bleach, I'm not going to give it to her and see how it plays out and just kind of let nature teach her. It's like, no, I'm going to protect her because I love her. When you ask God for something that's not good, if, it, if you're asking God for something that is going to feed into your sin and feed into your, your rebellion against him and your rejection of him and your, your, I don't need God in my life if I just have all these other things, but he's not gonna give you that. And it's right and good for him not to give you that. We don't always ask God for good things. James, in, uh, in his letter that he writes in the New Testament, he says, God says no to us when we ask for things selfishly to spend what we get on our own passions, all right? Uh, if it's selfish or a request for something that's not good for us, God is going to say no. Sometimes, and this is the real struggle, sometimes we ask God for a good thing and he says no because he has a plan in place that will bring about a better result that we're not aware of. Like, we're limited in what we know. God is not limited in what he knows. 
He has eternity in his mind, and God wants more than just your temporary good. He wants your eternal good, and that is where God is trying to bring you. Uh, Tim Keller, the pastor and author who recently passed away, it's, um, really big impact on me and my own ministry. Uh, he said, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you know everything that he does. And you see why he was so famous. You know, he just says cool things like that. But it, it makes sense, okay? Um, when I was 12, I prayed to God to uh, cure my dad of cancer. And you know, I was, I was asking for a good thing. Cancer is a bad thing. Uh, pain is a bad thing. Suffering is a bad thing. Broken families is a bad thing. So I'm praying to God, would you cure my dad? And, uh, and, and I, I'm asking for this good thing. And God said, no. What I know now, looking at what has happened because of that, uh, one, it, sh- it showed me that, you know, because this thing happened, it, it revealed to me, like, I'd grown up in the church, but I really didn't know the gospel. I didn't know anything about it, and, and I didn't love Jesus, and I was kind of in a relationship where I, I feel like I could use God to get what I want, so it, it totally broke that apart. It did that, and then later it brought me to a place where I really could receive the gospel and understand the love of Jesus and that can take root in my life and make me into a new person and give me this, this joy and this peace and this hope that I never would have known apart from him. So I did that, and then because of that, it brought me to a place where I could uh, meet my wife and now have my two kids. Because it had done that for me, it brought me to a place where I got uh, an opportunity to work in a church that, um, that, that helped uh, developed me, and they supported me in coming here and being part of this church now, and so this church wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. I wouldn't have my family. I wouldn't be here. N- none of us would be here this morning. You'd be somewhere else, but all that because of this thing that had happened, and, and I know now, and I have so much peace because I, I know I'm going to get to see my dad again. He had faith in Jesus, and, and he was able to, to communicate that and his desire for me to know Jesus but before he went. And, and this is just for me. This is just in my own life. And now to look at what it's also done for my brother, who's had like a similar journey. And I don't think God is done using this thing that happened when I was 12. I don't think he's finished yet using it as part of his plan to bring all these good things about, not a, a temporary good, but an, an eternal good. If I knew then at 12, year old, at 12 years old what I know now and, and what would happen and how God would use it, I would change my prayers. I would change my prayers from, uh, God, would, would you heal my dad? I promise I'll be good. That's what it was. And instead the prayers would be, God, would you please heal my dad, but not my will, your will be done. Because I trust you. And I know that you're good. We don't know how exactly God is going to give us and bring us to that eternal good, but we do know that he is a good father who loves us, who gave his own son for us. He knows how to give us good things. He's given us his grace, his mercy, his love, his promises, his presence in our lives.
We can trust him. Moving on in Matthew 7, verse 12, Jesus says this, So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Remember I said, Jesus is putting two paths in front of us today, and you're going to be on one of them. You have to make a decision at some point where you're, you're committing to one of them. This is what the path looks like for those who follow Jesus. It's not the path that we start out on, just like by default, we're not, uh, we're not children of God. Um, the default path that we start out on is whatever people do to you, do the same to them. Right? So if people are kind to you, you be kind to them. If they help you, you help them. If people are neutral to you, you can be good to them and have a reasonable expectation they're going to be good to you. But if people are not good to you, if they mistreat you, if they betray your trust, if they take advantage of you, if they take from you, if, uh, you know, whatever it is, whatever way they, they humiliate you, whatever it is, if they are bad to you, you can be bad to them. There's a strong temptation to live that way, but it's not Jesus' way. Jesus' way is much more demanding it's even more demanding than sort of the next level up from do to others what they do to you. The next level up from that is like do no harm. And, and that's, uh, you know, a level of morality that a lot of people try to subscribe to in their own lives. I don't say that everyone's, you know, successful in that do no harm. Um, but, you know, the, the problem with, with do no harm, like you, as long as I don't actively harm anyone else, then, then I'm fine, I'm good, and uh, I, I don't have to do any more than that. Um, the problem is it allows you to watch people make decisions that will bring harm to themselves or bring harm to other people, and you don't have to do anything about it because you're not the one who's doing any harm, and you don't want to confront that person because they're going to be upset with you. You know, who are you to judge me? Uh, why do you think you know better than I do? Just leave me alone, and, and you don't want any of that noise, so uh, you're just going just, to just watch it happen. It lets you do no harm if that's like your, your mode of operation. It allows you to become indifferent to harm that other people suffer as long as you're not involved in it. The way Jesus gives, it's much more difficult than do to others what they do to you or do no harm. He says, whatever you wish others would do for you, that's what you go and do for others. Think about what's involved in this. You need to have empathy. You need to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and really understand their circumstances and what it is that they're hoping for and the obstacles they're facing. You need to know that, but you also have to keep in mind what you know about God's truth and, and uh, the, the eternal good that God brings to us. And so, um, you know, just because a person wants a certain thing to happen, if, if the thing that they want to happen would not really be f for their good, that's something you keep in mind. Uh, and so, like, if, if you were them, if I was someone who I know is about to make a decision that's going to be, you know, massively self-destructive in my own life, how would I want someone to help me with that? 
Like, how would I want them to confront me and persuade me? How would I want them to, uh, to, to guide me into a, a greater faith in Jesus? You know, if I'm, if I'm going through a real struggle, how is it that I want someone to show up for me and, and help me with the issues that I'm dealing with? It requires wisdom, humility, courage, and it, it requires this, when this is humility, it requires a willingness to put others before yourself and even um, put yourself at a loss for their sake. So, you know, if, if this is someone you know, if you were a single mom with a beat-up car and a stack of medical bills, how would you want someone to help you with that? How would you want someone to be a presence in your life and, and be a support for you in that? If you were a teen who is dealing with anger and, and pain at the loss of a parent and they're starting to numb themselves by drinking and they're just going down that road, if you were them, how would you want someone to come into your life and, and help you in that? What, what would that look like? Or even a closer example, and, and I love thinking about this one, if you were your own spouse, how would you want you to treat you? This is a little bit of a mind bend, but you know what I'm saying. How, how would you want to be treated to, to get you know, recognition and affection and demonstrations of love? Like, what would you want them to do for you if you were them? And the really cool thing is like, you can go do that today. You know, so do it. <laughs> you can give your spouse like the best day they've had in weeks if you just start thinking about that and you go home and you do that today. This is such a, a demanding command. Jesus says this command is a summary of the law and the prophets. So every, every command and every, um, every time that God reaches out to his people through the Old Testament and what is God's will, what does he want them to do? It's all summed up in this. Elsewhere, Jesus says the summary of the law and the prophets is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Like, this is loving your neighbor as yourself, and it's connected. Verse 12 is connected to the stuff that comes before it. You see how verse 12 starts with the word, so. Um, that, that's like saying, therefore. It's because of the stuff that comes before. It's because uh, God is your father, you know you have a relationship where he's your father and he loves you, he's a good father, he wants your eternal good, he knows how to give you these good things because all that's true. You are now able to go and live your life for the good of others. And, and that's how your life should look when the rest of this is true. You know, it's like, it, I was thinking, it's like, um, so just imagine you were in the middle of a desert and the desert stretches as far as you can see in every direction and the sun is beating down on you and there's no water anywhere. And you're, you're parched, there's dust in your throat. What God has done for you is he's given you a cup that is always full of water. No matter how much you drink, the cup is always full. In John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to a woman at a well in the hot part of the day, and we read this. 
Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The, the water at the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, this is uh, your, your father knows how to give good things to those who ask that he is eternally full of grace and mercy and love for you. You got this cup that no matter how much you drink of it, it's always full. You can never finish it. And so now you're still out here in this desert with the sun beating down on you and everyone's parched. Like we live in this sinful, broken place where people are looking for something. They're looking for something that's going to quench the thirst that's in them. We're out here in this desert and you have this cup and now you can go and, and do for others as you wish they would do for you if you were in their situation. You can give them a drink. And the amazing thing about what Jesus has given us is no matter how much you give away, you still have all of it because the cup is always full. That's how treating others the way you would wish to be treated works. And it's, you know, what makes it so hard is sometimes that's going to be towards people who have not been kind to you. They've not been good to you or they don't express any gratitude for what you've done for them, or they, they take advantage, or, you know, whatever it is. Jesus doesn't give us separate categories here. The people who've been good to you, treat them as you would wish to be treated if you were them, uh, but the people who've not been good to you don't have to bother. We treat everyone the way that we would wish to be treated if we were them, because we have been them. We're all by nature children of wrath. It's only by God's grace that we're adopted into the family of, of, of God that we receive the cup that's always full. Jesus has done that for us, you know, before we were good to him in, in any measure, in any way. And now before you go thinking that, you know, this command, this verse 12 is, is an option or is something that you reach and get to when you've become, uh, when you've been like a Christian for a long time, you're, you're a veteran Christian, uh, Jesus gives us a warning. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This warning relates to, like I said, the two paths that Jesus is laying before us today. Two paths that currently, this morning, you're on one of them. You're on one or the other. You can't be on both, and there's, there's not a third path, according to Jesus' teaching. The truth is, it's easy. It's it's easy and it's easier on you to miss out on God being your father. The way that leads to life, it's, it's a narrow gate. It's, it's something that is purely between you and God and is your own personal decision. It's not something that you can stumble your way into because you're part of the crowd, because you're here at the church or you're in a, 
a Christian family and just because you're around the people, you, you get in with them. It's, it's like the turnstiles at, at a stadium or at the subway, just one at a time. The way is narrow. It's a narrow gate. The way is hard. And I want to be clear about this because not everyone is. Uh, there, there are, you know, preachers and pastors and evangelists and youth leaders, kids ministry leaders, and just anyone that you could meet who, you know, in their attempt to bring more people into the kingdom of God, they dress it down so much that you don't even know how you get in. They make it seem like this, this light and easy thing that, you know, all you have to do is, is pray this prayer. All you have to do is kind of, you just receive Jesus, and what receive Jesus means is you just kind of agree with him, and people here are like, okay, well, I get forgiveness of sins and I get eternal life. Sure, I want that. And so, yeah, give me that. And, and they think, like, that's all it takes. Uh, the decision to follow Jesus means surrendering your life to him. Surrendering your plans and your authority to him so that now, having made that decision to, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm going to follow Jesus, I, I put my faith in him for my salvation, having made that decision, you are now living your life for Jesus and his kingdom and his will and his plans and not your own. It's not a light decision to make and it's not something you can fake. Like you could try to fake it, but you're not going to fool Jesus. Jesus knows your heart. What it means for you from now on, it means uh, forgiveness is not an option for you. You have to forgive. And you don't have to forgive because you're being told to forgive. You have to forgive because you've been forgiven by Jesus when you were a sinner. He freely forgives you, pays off the debt, and sets you free. And because you've received that from him, how can I hold on to a grudge and, and withhold forgiveness from anyone? It's because of how you've been changed. Now, forgiveness is not an option. Serving's not an option. It's your way of life because it's how Jesus has shown you what Jesus has done for you. You go and serve others. Humility isn't an option. Generosity isn't an option. Compassion isn't an option. Here's one that people really struggle with. Um, listening to what God says about what is sin is not an option. When God says, here is something that's a sin, here is something that's evil, here is something that's good, you don't get to argue with God and say, I disagree with you on that. I'll agree with you on everything else, I'm just not going to agree with you on that. I mean, if that's you, that's not surrender. That's not giving yourself to Jesus. It's not throwing yourself at his feet, asking him to be your king, the, the savior who, uh, who, would, who would pay for your sins and bring you into the family of God and give you the, the hope of eternal life. That, that's not surrender. You haven't done it. I don't get to argue with God about what sin is. I get to listen to him and submit to him. Jesus tells us, following him, it's going to mean that you deny yourself. It's hard. Here's, here's something you can do. When, when Jesus says something is hard, you can believe him. <laughs> he says the way is hard. It is. There's an easier way. 
there's a much easier way. It's a wide and easy way where you don't have to listen to anyone else. You can just listen to yourself. You can make all your own decisions. You can live how you want to live. You can decide what you want to decide. Think whatever you want to think about what's right. And, and it's, it's simpler, and it's less demanding, and there's less sacrifice involved. But that's the way Jesus tells us that leads to destruction. It's not the way that leads to life. It's the way that leads to destruction. It leads not closer to Jesus. It leads further from Jesus. Now, just because, the, I just want to be clear about this, just because the way is hard, and I just want to c- correct something that if your, your mind's racing ahead of me right now, you might already be there. Just because the way is hard, it does not mean that, okay, the way it works is my life is going to be a struggle to be the kind of person that Jesus wants me to be, and as long as I struggle really hard with that and I do a really good job with that, at the end of it, I get to eternal life, and it's, it's by my effort in living the hard life that Jesus lays in front of me. Uh, that's not it, okay? Uh, your effort is not what gets you salvation. What gets you salvation is Jesus' effort for you. What he's done for you on the cross, you're given salvation, you're given eternal life as a gift, completely apart from your works, your efforts, your goodness, your merits, anything like that. What this is talking about is how his salvation changes you. How receiving that salvation changes your life. It changes you at a deep and profound level from the heart so that now I don't want to just live for myself. I want to live for him. I want to honor him. I want to love him in everything that I do And because of that, my life is going to include all this uh, self-denial and sacrifice that that is not present on the the easy way. Does that make sense? You didn't say anything, but I'm going to assume that you get it. Here's the question. What's the path that you are on today? Have you entered through... The, the wide gate where the way is easy, is, is that the path that you're on? Or have you entered through the narrow gate? Have you found it to be that, you know what, the way is hard? There are people I'd rather not forgive, people I'd rather not serve, situations I'd rather not be humble. But it's the way that I'm on. The good news is, even though the, the, the gate is narrow and the way is hard and, and walking on it, it, it means this, uh, you know, more self-denial and, and sacrifice. The good news is that there is a way. There is a way to eternal life, to your eternal good that God wants for you. There's a way for you to be adopted into the family of God. John 14, we read this, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus himself is the way. He is 
the gate. It's only through him. That's why it's a narrow gate. It's only through Jesus. But it's because Jesus is the one who went to the cross for you. While you and I were children of wrath, stuck in our sin, our backs turned to God, he went to the cross for us. And he pays our debt. He suffers God's wrath for sin. Like the way that leads to destruction, Jesus went to that destruction on the cross for us. Dies in our place so that we can be forgiven. Our debt paid. Our our guilt gone. Set free. And then three days later in his resurrection, he defeats death forever. And in that defeat of death and this new Uh, resurrection, eternal, immortal life, we get the promise of this same eternal life. And you just see what God does. He turns death into life. There's there's nothing. There's no no pain or scars that God can't heal. There's no broken thing that he can't make whole again. God has your eternal life good in mind. He loves you. He gave his son for you. He's even brought you here this morning to hear this good news. Like if that's you, if you're, if you're exploring, if you're asking and you're seeking and you're knocking and you want to know if this is true, like Jesus is trying to reveal himself to you. He's trying to show himself to you. He's trying to, to, to show that to you today. Will you make a decision today about the path that, that you want to be on, the gate that you're going to enter through? Will you put your faith, your hope in Jesus? Will you surrender yourself to him? I hope that you will. What we're going to do next is uh, we're going to take communion as a church. And so uh, what's going to happen is I'm going to pray and uh, Mike's going to come up and he's going to start leading us through a song. While he's doing that, uh, some, uh, some guys are going to be passing out our communion trays. And so communion is something that Christians do. Uh, God commands Christians to do it. So if you're not a Christian, you can just let it pass by you today. This is the way that we... Um, we, we physically remember what Jesus has done for us and our eternal reliance on the, the sacrifice that he made in his own body and through his own blood. And so if you're not a Christian, you just let it pass by. Um, but you know, if, even if today, if you've been exploring Jesus and you want to say yes to him today and you want to make that commitment uh, maybe the first thing you do as a new Christian is you take communion together with us. So let me pray for us. And then um, once everyone's had it, just hold on to it and then I'll come back up and lead us through taking it together. All right.